KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, your source for classical music here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, your hometown radio station from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy, as we have the privilege of taking you back in time for this next hour, right here in our very own little concert hall. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And tonight, joining us for the first time this season is another host for From the Concert Hall, Jeremy Jacobs. Jeremy, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Corbin. I'm really excited to be here tonight. Thank you. So now, you're going to be one of our season-long hosts. You and Annika will be switching back and forth all season. And you come to us with a wide range of musical background. Do you care to tell us a bit about that? Starting in about 10th grade in high school, I became very involved in choirs, different organizations such as that. Spent time doing all-region, all-state choirs around Arkansas, a lot of choir camps in Arkansas. And then I came to college. I'm a member of the University of the Ozarks Glee Club. I'm a member of the Chapel Choir and Chamber Singers up here. And I'm just really excited to get a chance to talk about music. Thank you. Now, you've also lately become known as the ukulele guy here on campus, correct? Yes. Entirely (laughs) by virtue of carrying it, not by actually playing or having skill yet. Work in progress. (laughs) That's all you need is the instrument, right? (laughs) Uh, You actually have a bit of campus news for us, don't you? Yes. On March 8th, the University of the Ozarks will be hosting the second annual health fair in the Rogers Conference Center from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The health fair will include health career professionals, health screenings, massages, physical therapists, yoga, health food vendors, Ozarks Outdoors, Planet Club, and door prizes. For more information, email pleroy at ozarks.edu. That's P-L-E-R-O-Y at ozarks.edu. Thank you. I mean, if it's not worth going for the door prizes, at least you can go for the free massage and yoga, right? I think we all need a free massage right now in the semester. Tell me about it. I've also got a bit of local news myself. So on Tuesday, March 29th, the Clarksville Lions Club will host an all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast at the First United Methodist Church. The pancake breakfast starts at 6.30 a.m. and ends at 12.30 p.m. If you pay in advance, the cost is $5 per person and $3 for children, 12 and under. If you pay on March 29th, the price of the door will be $5.50 per person and $3.50 for children 12 and under. If you cannot make it to the First United Methodist Church in Clarksville, the Lions Club are offering deliveries on five or more orders only. So get your tickets for the all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast as soon as possible. You know, I, I say each week that this is one of those events that come around each season, and for good reason. I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I love pancakes. Incidentally, Tuesday is International Pancake Day. It's free at IHOP as well. Hmm. So... If you can't make it to the Lions Club, or if you love pancakes as much as we do, you can go to IHOP for your free pancakes Tuesday, and then the Tuesday afterwards, go and get your Lions Club pancakes. You're welcome, IHOP. Free advertising. Exactly. So, tonight's topic, we're going to be continuing in our Breaking Down the Orchestra, which is this season's theme, and we're going to be talking a bit about orchestral disasters and kind of the logistics of you know, actually having an orchestra. And quite frankly, there's a lot that goes into that. Jeremy, I mean, you've been in choirs. I've been in choirs and orchestras as well. And I know at least from the choir standpoint, you can say that it can become a logistical nightmare. It can be. And every year at Allstate, they had Allstate for choir and Allstate for band at the same time. And 
it's not just transporting the people. It's transporting the people, the instruments, getting everything arranged, set up for the concerts. It can be a mad dash to get things done. Exactly. One of my favorite videos I've ever seen on YouTube talks about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and what they have to do for a choir tour. I think they actually end up taking like five semi-trucks. It's a really big choir. Plus charter buses. They bring all of the orchestra, the whole 365-member choir, the directors, the organists, and their tech team. Yeah, if anyone's seen like the cliche rock band bus, imagine that times about maybe 10 to 20. Exactly. But some interesting things about them, they actually take two organs on tour. So in case things just really come, like in case the first organ doesn't work or things really go wrong, they actually plan for the backup, which is... Great. And if you're, it's always better to plan for the worst, but kind of get the best. It might be a pain to lug around the extra organ, but it's definitely less of a pain than not having one because of an electrical or mechanical malfunction. Right. And really, orchestral disasters, things that can happen can be anything. Working as a piano technician, I get to see a lot of these. And Sometimes they're my own fault. Sometimes they're the fault of others. But kind of a favorite is the broken piano string mid-concert or something happening. I've had that happen before. Jeremy, what have you seen in your years that has really just kind of stood out as like, wow, that, that was unexpected? The worst thing is, okay, the two worst things that I've seen are either overstressing your voice before a concert I've seen a decent amount of people just work themselves too hard, not hydrate enough, and then just flop during the concert because their voice wore out. The other worst thing would be occasional mind flubs as well. Whenever you don't mentally prepare enough or whenever you don't rest yourself enough mentally and then you just space on your part. So an interesting orchestral disaster that got blogged to me this week came from a man in England and he was going to perform with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. When they were setting up the stage and the music librarian was setting out pieces, a couple of the stands got swapped. So the bassoonist got the triangle player's part and the triangle player got the bassoonist part and they actually played these parts. You think the triangle player would have noticed that he had more than just rhythms? Perhaps. You know, I think that would be something interesting to experience. (laughs) Just what what would that sound like? And why did they just roll with it? Now, whenever mistakes happen, rolling with it's probably a good thing. But in that case... You have a bassoonist picking a note and playing on rhythm and a triangle player believing he can do different notes. Is that how that would work? I'm not entirely sure. Well, in some orchestral scores, because I've been in the pit part working in percussion, actually what the triangle sees is actually stabbed music. So it actually looks like actual stabbed music that the bassoonist might see. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some pieces just have like a written Rhythm line? Yeah, that's what I was expecting whenever you said triangle. Others actually have full staved music. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I can understand where this would become, where this might become an issue. Okay, that that's a little more understandable. But I'm wondering about the cliff. <laughs> that's definitely a good point. Because if I'm not mistaken, bassoon, I think, plays in bass clef, though it might play in treble. No, that's an interesting question. Let me look that up. But other orchestral disasters I've seen, whenever you're in percussion, I've also seen straps break on drum sets that are holding cymbals or actually like hand cymbals. Uh, and so like just cymbal crash. That's, that's another one for me. What about you, Jeremy? Sometimes people have locked their legs 
in performances and fainted. Wow. So, interesting note on the bassoon, because I did look up its clef just now. Typically, it plays in the bass clef, but it can play in the tenor clef. So, it actually might not have, the bassoon player might not have thought anything about seeing the treble clef sign. So, interesting things to know about the bassoon. If you're really interested in the bassoon, feel free to join us next week, actually, when we meet with a bassoon player, sit down with him in studio, and talk about the bassoon's role in the orchestra. You know, kind of a shameless plug for next week's topic. (laughs) The first bit of music we have up tonight to kind of give you an idea of what a well-functioning orchestra sounds like is Spring from Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Jeremy, this is a piece I know you know as well as I do. Absolutely. I think everyone knows it. You just might not know that you do. Exactly. I think it's a piece we've all heard. We're just not connecting with it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but actually I'm thinking the Four Seasons was actually one of the first forms of concerto, correct? That sounds right to me. I'd have to check my musical history again, but I really want to say that it is. But for those of you who love a well-functioning orchestra as much as we do, who've gotten over all the crazy dramatic things that could have gone wrong, we have for you Spring from the Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Enjoy.
You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, Community Radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello and welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm Corbin Sturch. And I'm Jeremy Jacobs. And we'd like to thank everyone for joining us here tonight on KUOZ as we talk through some of the things that are involved in making an orchestral production all come together and some of the things that can happen if it just falls apart. So we're going to talk, before we go into a bit on that, let's talk a bit about the last piece we heard, The Spring from the Four Seasons. When I think of that piece, it's actually what kind of brought about the in, this season's theme, which is breaking down the orchestra. We're kind of doing our own version of an elongated concerto here. And a concerto is a piece that has full orchestra, but has different instrumental solos within it. And actually, we did look it up through the break, and we were right in saying that The Four Seasons by Vivaldi was the first form of concerto. And in it, you can kind of hear that, where you hear those different parts there, where you have the instrumentalist that's really kind of singled out, like you hear violins a lot, imitating birds, and the calls they make, and things like that. Somewhat like musical painting, whenever... And this specific type, this specific concerto, The Four Seasons by Vivaldi, there is a program that goes with it. So as you're listening, you're reading, say, this text, and you see words about birds singing, and then you hear the violin. You hear about winds stirring, blistering, all of that, and you get audible recognition of that inside the piece itself. Right. So it's not just hearing the piece. It's, it's a red bit of music, too. <laughs> And I don't mean the color red, but I mean red as in reading. Because, like Jeremy had said, when you're reading this, it's almost like watching a movie, but completely in your head. <laughs> uh, but let's move a bit on. Let's move on a bit to logistics of the orchestra, or logistics of really any musical event. Jeremy, I know both of us have had our fair share of dealing with planning, as we both kind of got swept into dealing with planning a choir camp next year. And that's that's been a fun adventure. Absolutely. And it kind of lets you experience what it's like to really understand and sympathize with event planners and orchestral directors who deal with all this event management and tour planning and things like that. And ours is on a relatively small scale. Imagining the New York Philharmonic or anything like that getting everything set up. Exactly. Whenever we look at logistics of an orchestra, first thing you're going to look at, you know, how much is it going to cost us? Because there's costs associated with everything. Even if you're getting paid, you still have to put an upfront cost first. And there's more to cost than people consider whenever they think about it. Most, Whenever you see an orchestra, you see them on the stage, you see them performing... You're not seeing all the technical work. You're not seeing the travel expenses. You're not seeing the hotel or stay expenses, depending on what type of performance it is. Right. They have to pay to print tickets. They have to pay for the venue before they ever get paid by the venue. <laughs> they have to pay their staff. I mean, a lot of times the orchestral, the orchestral musicians are paid as well. And definitely the conductor is always paid. So, I mean, there's a lot of costs associated with this, and that doesn't even touch on marketing. Yeah, we're just talking about the performers here. There's also tech people, the sound set up, the stage set up, the marketing, the pamphlets, even drivers or anything like that, people who move the instruments. There are a lot of associated costs with this. Exactly. And if you make it past the cost phase, because cost phase can get costly, <laughs> it's, the numbers get big, especially if you have a big group and a big orchestra. I mean, tours and events like that aren't cheap. And we didn't even touch on cost of eating. <laughs> a lot of times during tours, groups will have their meals paid for by the orchestral center that they're traveling with. But getting past cost, you have to advertise and market events. Now, and that's that's jumping ahead a few steps. So maybe I should take a step back before I get to marketing, maybe. 
maybe starting with the initial travel expenses, such right. housing. Yeah. So, I mean, after you've got past your cost, and kind of while you're dealing with the cost, too, you're going to be pricing hotels. You're going to be looking at what can accommodate you, can accommodate you during your tour, and is it where you want to stay, and is it within your budget? And that's for tours, for larger, maybe longer stay orchestras. They might have to put people up, not in hotels, but, say, apartments or housing, because those people are going to be there in that area performing for quite a while. Exactly. Now, another thing, whenever you're dealing with tours that you have to wonder, can you find a charter company to get you from point A to point B? Sometimes it takes multiple. And with some charter companies, you actually run into issues associated with how their contracts work. And sometimes bus company A doesn't work with bus company B. Depending on even where the individual performers are from, say, I've, I've heard a lot, a few people, a few orchestras or performances, they'll have their performers make their own way there, say not for a tour, but for a thing in a set location, they'll have to cover, they'll have to figure out their own ways to get over, whether be it by plane, driving, bus. But for a tour, you have to gather everyone together and move them all together. Exactly. And that really can be a nightmare. I was really impressed at the University of the Ozarks this year for sending the freshman class on a big trip where they ended up having to charter six or seven buses to move this class of 250, I think. And that will be equivalent, honestly, to transporting an orchestra as far as the people go, not counting the instruments or the sound equipment. Right. You know, an orchestra, you may only see the 20 to 60 people on stage, but a lot of times orchestras travel with a staff and travel with their family because they're going to have a set stage crew and a set group of people who travel with them everywhere. And they're going to have to have a spot on the bus too. (laughs) And it's the same for like big concert artists. Like you think of Mariah Carey, for example. You know, she's going to have her personal tour bus then she's going to have her band tour bus, and then she's going to have her crew bus. It's true. It's like any, once again, I'm going to use this analogy, it's like any cliched rock group bus. You have the bus to carry all the sound equipment and the instruments, and you have people to help unload and set up, in addition to the performers. Exactly. And there's a point you keep touching on. You've got to transport that equipment, and you've got to find a semi-company or some long-distance hauling company that will work with you throughout the either the whole tour or points in the tour. And that's not easy. And it's also not cheap. Uh, These are companies that normally haul for big industrial corporations. It's it's basically running an entire J.B. Hunt van semi. For two, three weeks, maybe a month. And it's going to be more than one, most likely. Absolutely. If anyone's ever seen a tuba or a cello imagine anywhere from five to twenty of those for an orchestra and that's just for that one instrument exactly now some more things you have to consider when you're on this tour what venue can accommodate you just because it's a concert hall doesn't mean it's big enough to hold the audience you're going to bring or that it's big enough to even hold you or for you to get into Like if a concert hall or or an event venue like Verizon Arena doesn't have a place for you to back your semi up to, you may not be able to do anything there. Right. A big part of that would would involve having a public relations or a manager to discuss with the venues to make sure everything the orchestra would need would be there. Exactly. And that goes with... You know, sending people ahead. Because, I mean, just because it says this on paper doesn't mean this in reality. And that goes right along with what you're saying, Jeremy. You always want to send someone ahead. You always need to scout a location before a shoot or before an event. 
and that goes along with what we do here at KUOZ in the radio station and the television studios. Anytime we're going to have any kind of event outside of our own studios, and sometimes even in our own studios, it's always asking ourselves and sending someone ahead to scout, you know, can we do this? <laughs> and honestly, this for any professional out there who's worked at moving large numbers of people, whether it be for a business conference or something of that nature, you would understand how you need to talk to the people who own the venues, who own the hotels, and have to deal with these negotiations and make sure everything's in order for what you need to do. So I looked up some information here on what it takes to move the Mormon Tabernacle Choir from point A to point B. And they actually sent out a press release about this. And I'm going to quote saying that come here going, it's a Herculean task, is what the director had said here. The person, and they actually have a special person who's in charge of transportation and accommodation. So this is one person's job. <laughs> or we're going to say it's one person's job. Most likely he has a team of people under him. But in total, they transport 582 people. And for this task, they chartered three jet airliners, and they schedule it so each leaves at a different time so the airport doesn't get bogged down. They're going to have 11 tour buses as well on this tour. Any larger pieces of luggage or things like that are going to be sent ahead of them at least a week in advance on four large semi-trucks, which will also haul the orchestral, well, not the not even the orchestral instruments, but like the wardrobe and things like that for the tour. Because anyone who's ever seen the Mormon Tabernacle Choir knows they have a set wardrobe that they use, and it all goes with them. So, I mean, it's that gives you kind of an idea of just the scope of these and you said there were a, a little over 500 people transported for right. each tour. For a frame of reference, how many of those people are performers so we can tell how many are people we, that are needed for setup? So on the particular tour they're quoting here, they had 320 choir members and 68 orchestral members. So we're looking at 300... I'm sorry... 388 musicians. So for every four musicians, there's another person behind them working on setup or logistics. Exactly. Far, and that's just the people traveling with the group. And this was just for a 14-day tour of New York. It's what all that took. So a longer tour, for example, some orchestras who tour for whole seasons, that's... It's a huge amount of logistics that go into that. And we're going to continue talking on that here in the next quarter of the hour. But before we get into that, here's a bit of night music. The finale of night music, rather, by Mozart. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Jeremy Jacobs. And tonight we are continuing our conversation over breaking down the orchestra and, you know, what it takes to put the orchestra together and make it all happen. And tonight we're really diving into the technical nitty-gritty aspects of that as we talk about logistical issues associated with the orchestra and kind of what can happen if those needs aren't met. During the last part of the hour, we talked a bit about kind of the forefront, going into the production, planning hotels, associated costs, you know, actually what it could look like to set a tour up together. And we'd, we kept referencing the Mormon Tabernacle Choir because, you know, in my mind, that's a fairly well-known group. They travel with the orchestra, the choir, everyone, and people don't realize the undertaking it really is to get that group from point A to point B. Absolutely. It's, there are a lot of people to move with each event and the setup of hotel costs, the setup of travel expenses. It can take a toll on the pocketbook. But now that we've covered all of that, it's probably about time to start talking about the actual technical and marketing aspects of setting these things up. Exactly. So months, sometimes even a whole year or two before an event happens, you've got the people who've planned this are going to send this on to the marketing team. And that marketing team is going to take all of this and just run with it. They're going to make flyers, posters, internet press releases, newspaper releases for where they're located and where they're going to be for all their locations. So say there's a five-stop tour over two weeks, or actually, let's use our own example. Here at University of the Ozarks, the choir tours through the month of April. They tour every weekend in April. So there's four stops on that tour. So four stops for the choir over the month. There's going to be press advertisements and everything's out over all of that for the whole month. And even starting now, that's going to start happening. It's, it's a huge event. It's, it's a huge undertaking. Those posters you see, even, even down to the ticket design, your advertisers are going to be handling that because tickets are collectible. Ticket stubs are a huge collector's item, and marketing teams pay attention to every aspect of that. That's true for virtually any medium. Whenever a thing looks nicer, looks more professional, more presentable, it really helps to sell the product, which in this case is going to be the orchestra. It's nice to have that clean look, make sure the appearance of the posters, of the flyers, of the ticket stubs matches the feel of the events, and just really make people feel like this is something they want to be at, they want to enjoy. Exactly. And assuming all your marketing demands are met, which can be an outsourced job to a whole company or a team of 10 people that you pay yourself because marketing can't just be one person. It's too big a job for one person. Oftentimes, I know a lot of companies and businesses will outsource their marketing to specific marketing teams. My brother actually owns a marketing firm. He has three to five employees at a time, and they do work for businesses up in the Bensonville area. And for an orchestra, that would constitute an even larger team than that absolutely exactly that could be just for the small mom and pop business exactly marketing is probably one of the biggest logistical challenges associated with any tour hotels you can schedule fairly easy but marketing that's the hardest hurdle next to your actual technical setup once you're at the event so let's say you've made it from point a to point b that's great what are you going to do once you're there? <laughs> You've got to have those people to set up and make sure everything's ready. And they're not just setting up for the one performance. A lot of times, 
the orchestra or the choir or the group is going to rehearse several hours or several days before the event even. And it's not just a rehearsal for the performers. It's a rehearsal for the entire technical department. Exactly. Theater gives us a great example of this. And this is a bit of theater a lot of people know and some people don't. Theater does this event called Tech Week before any production, no matter how big or how small. And all they do is they run their polished production. At this point, they're not fixing mistakes in the acting or anything like that. They're running it and just running every bit of it so that they know exactly how it's all going to play out during the actual production. They're simulating that production. And in the case of theater, it's a whole week before the production. Sometimes with music, it's two, three days. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's a month. Or like here at Ozarks, it's two weeks. And when that two-week clock starts counting down, that's when we start doing our dry runs and our tech runs. It's, it's a hard bit of thing. And when we say tech runs, and when we're talking about these technical rehearsals, we're talking about your stage crew. Maybe for one part of the concert, we're moving a piano on stage. Well, that needs to be rehearsed. That all has to be rehearsed and, for lack of a better term, orchestrated <laughs> so that it all plays out well during the actual concert, during the actual event. There has to be an understanding of where the performers are going to be situated. There has to be an understanding where the outlets are in the room, how to set those up so that the microphones, the electrical equipment are all set in the correct places, making sure the inputs are ready, making sure the audible outputs from these devices is what you're ex wanting. Exactly. For big musical groups, you're normally going to have recordings made, and there's going to be several sound checks and several recordings made throughout Tech Week and during the concert itself, because... There could be any variation of things that could happen during that recording. And those need to be addressed. So at the end, you still have a usable recording or pieces of usable recording that can be band-aided together to create one final end product that is seamless, that people don't realize is different from one day or the next. Which sounds like a Frankenstein-type approach, but honestly... Anything can happen during rehearsals or live performances. I've been at performances where the recording's going great and then a baby starts crying in the audience. Exactly. You never know. And during that moment, that recording's got to be scrapped. That particular moment in the recording is unusable. So, in essence, normally what happens is that whole song is scrapped from the recording and a previous recording of the song will be brought in from... I mean, it'll be from the same venue, the same group, the same week or time, just an earlier recording. It, it's kind of that fallback plan, because normally there's going to be CDs that are published from these events. Absolutely. And if these CDs are being published, being sold, it's important that they're a high quality so as not to damage the reputation of the group. Exactly. Other things people don't consider, going into at least the week before the performance... Anytime they're doing these tech runs, they're not just going to have their stage crew. They're also going to have music support staff on duty. They're going to have the piano technician who comes in before every, every rehearsal to tune the piano or any of the instruments, sometimes even the harps, depending on how particular a group is. And they're going to be tuning up to the minute before the concert sometimes. You could have organ technicians if it's a big hall. You'll have brass and wind technicians in case an instrument's broken or you need strings. There's any number of music support staff that are part of these productions that are always on site and on call for these big events. And in certain situations, that can even trickle down to, say, understudies. Exactly. This is less applicable in orchestra, probably, but for something like performances with solos, musicals, Anything with a very key, very major performer, an understudy would be absolutely necessary on set at all times. 
it's actually very common for orchestras to have what they would call an associate musician. So someone who isn't necessarily part, always a part of the orchestra, but is always on call okay. if something needs to happen. And I think that's with anything. I know, True. like in choir right now, we have a soloist who's going to have a solo on a song, but actually two or three people are working on that same solo in case one's sick or both are sick. Absolutely. And that that's a common practice anywhere. Redundancy is your friend. <laughs> You know, that sounds that sounds like a weird phrase to think about, but any check for redundancy that can save you in the long run is going to be what inevitably keeps you from failing or saves you if you do. You know, when we we're doing this show in particular now because we're getting into the part of the season where we're going to start bringing in guests. And there's logistics right there. We've already called our guest ahead of time. We know who we're bringing in and when they're coming. And we've already made the plans to reserve spaces to do recordings. We've reserved equipment. We've already been, we've made ourselves available for whole days to do recordings. We've scheduled extra days and we've, you know, made this time with the artists that are coming in, our guests, to make sure that we do everything right before this show comes to air. You know, sometimes we just think of ourselves as a small university radio show, but in reality, you know, we're playing to the whole world. This show is broadcasting to 102 countries, and we have to make sure every step, every move we make is exactly right so that whenever we get to point B, which is the on-air show, everything works. You know, other steps we take, we're always bringing extra equipment, extra cables. We've always had the piano tuned ahead of time or the space sound checked. We're always doing those little checks. Sometimes these events get recorded by the television as well. And that involves, you know, working with other facets of the department to make sure that everything comes together. So logistics... Even for a little show like this, are huge, huge. Jeremy, I don't know what you might want to say on that. What the, on that note? There's not much to say. You summed it up pretty well. There's a high level of production, even on our campus college level of production. Exactly. You know, kind of a production scare. We got uh, Wednesday. We learned that a concert we thought had just stopped happening is happening in two weeks. And <laughs> immediately when that announcement was made, I was sending texts to old crew members and old producers to make sure that we could still pull together a usable production. You know, we'd already made all the plans ahead of time for a previous date. So it was just transferring all those plans to a new date. And things like that show usable redundancy and show solid logistics and solid planning, just because, you know, time A didn't happen, we can still make the same thing work for time B. So before we get into the last bit of the show, we're going to listen to a little bit of Alexandre Desplat. And, you know, most people don't know that name, but if you've ever seen the last Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, you've heard his music. And one of the most famous pieces he wrote for those for that movie was The Battle of Hogwarts. So before we get into the last part of the show and send you out tonight, we're going to hear The Battle of Hogwarts by Alexandre Desplat. Enjoy.
You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, Community Radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello and welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm Jeremy Jacobs, and thank you for listening to our show tonight. Indeed, thank you. Now, before we let you go tonight, we want to remind you about a bit of local news. That way you remember it. Jeremy? The University of the Ozarks Health Fair will be March 8th in the Rogers Conference Center from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. This health fair will include health career professionals, health screenings, massages, physical therapists, yoga, health food vendors, Ozarks Outdoors, Planet Club, and door prizes. For more information, email P-L-E-R-O-Y at ozarks.edu. That's P-L-E-R-O-Y at ozarks.edu. Thank you, Jeremy. Also happening on Tuesday, March 29th, the Clarksville Lions Club will host an all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast at the First United Methodist Church. It'll start at 6.30 and end at 12.30. Now, this is in the morning. If you pay in advance, the cost is $5 per person and $3 for children 12 and under. And if you pay that day, the cost will be uh, $5.50 per person and $3.50 for children 12 and under. And if you can't make it, but you have orders of five or more, the Lions Club will deliver. So come out and enjoy the pancake breakfast and get in touch with the Lions Club as soon as possible so you can get your ticket today. Also happening at the university today and throughout the course of the next few weeks, Tammy Harrington's art exhibit on printmaking, her sabbatical project, is on display in the Stevens Gallery at the University of the Ozarks. It's a very interesting project. She asked professors around the campus to view this artistic piece and asked them to deliver a 50-word explanation of their feelings to her. And she turned those 50-word explanations into individual prints for her exhibit. Exactly. And that'll be accessible from... 9 a.m. until 4.30 p.m. each day in the Stevens Gallery. The next week at 7 p.m., the University of the Ozarks Chamber Singles will partner with the Clarksville Honor Choirs and Parksville High, Clarksville High School Choirs here at the Munger Wilson Memorial Chapel at 7 p.m. for a joint concert. Doors will open at 6.45 the community, and the event is free to the public. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode of From the Concert Hall. We certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. If you'd like to find out more about what's happening through the week and things happening with the show, please like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. And from there, you can find links to our Twitter, our iTunes, our SoundCloud, and our Instagram. Also, email us if you would like at from the concert hall radio at gmail.com. To play us out into the night, we have Duel of the Fates because dealing with logistics can be a real duel of the fates. Thank you and have a wonderful weekend.